The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> And welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, U.S. Gamers' official RPG podcast where we talk about everything pertaining to the role-playing genre. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and joining me today is a couple of newcomers, a couple of new additions to the party. Please welcome Jason Wilson from GameSpeed. Hello! And Rowan Kaiser, freelancer extraordinaire, formerly of WinterIsComing.net whose work can be found uh, a lot of places, but we worked together previously at Joystick, where I had a JRPG column and I had a, and he had a Western RPG column. Yep. Hello. So today we're going to be talking about Pillars of Eternity, which came out a week ago as of this recording. It's a new old game by Obsidian uh, that is in the style of the Infinity Engine games from the late 90s and early 2000s. Games like Icewind Dale and Baldur's Gate and Planescape Torment and other games of that fashion, even though that it was made in the Unity Engine. Um, we've all been reviewing it or playing it over the past week or so. And by the time that you see this recording, uh, you should be able to actually read at least my review which will be going up later today. So you should go to usgamer.net and check that out. So I think the first thing I really want to do is kind of let's lend some context to what this whole Infinity Engine thing is. And I I think we should just start with, uh, Jason, you're a longtime role-playing fan. You kind of love these games. Can you shed some light on why you really like Infinity Engine games? Well, I, I like all kinds of RPGs. What I really love about the Infinity Engine games were, um, you know, being able to create party members up to six if you wanted to jigger it right uh, in Baldur's Gate. Um, I, I liked the pause controls for combat. I liked all the feedback you get from combat. I, I like the control you have over that. I like I like the exploration. It's uh, you know the maps could be a little limiting at times, but when you put all the maps together, you get pretty big, cool worlds to explore. Um, some of them were written really well. Some of them weren't, but I enjoy this style of RPG. And of course, because I am the big D and D nerd, all these games take place in D and D worlds, and I enjoy that. What's your favorite one? My favorite one is Baldur's Gate Two. Baldur's Gate 2. Why is that? Um, for me, for several reasons. First of all, I, I, I love the way that it, it adapted the Forgotten Realms um, even better than the first Baldur's Gate did. I, I like the characters. Minsk is one of my favorite RPG characters of all time. Uh, I, I love the history that you could read in the books, the history you could see in the weapons, the, the way it just feels like it. it really was a true recreation of the realms in a video game. And I love that. And I, I love the combat. And and I love the storytelling. I thought it was still one of Bioware's best stories. Rowan, when we were talking about this, uh, about Pillars of Eternity, uh, ahead of this recording, you referred to yourself as an Infinity Engine skeptic. And I'm really interested to hear your reasoning behind that. Well, skeptic might be a weak word. It's more hater. <laughs> <laughs> all right why are you a hater um i 
don't like the combat. Um, I, I find it a confusing mess, and it's uh, just you like press a button and everyone runs around and they hit things and hopefully you win. And uh, it, the level of micromanagement that you need in order to like really understand it just like bogs the game down immensely to me. Over time, I've actually come to respect it more, um, particularly Baldur's Gate 1, which I bounced off of like for 10 years before I finally like figured out a way to kind of understand it as a, an exploration game that uh, was kind of about like uncovering an entire world. Um, in a way that very few games actually successfully do. They're more about going to hot spots and figuring out what's going on on those, while Bar- Baldur's Gate 1 was um, more about uh, just like uncovering every nook and cranny along a relatively contiguous map, which I thought was actually kind of neat, and that's kind of how I uh, got into it. Like A game like Planescape Torment, I love the writing, but I cannot stand the combat, so I've never actually finished it. Um, and then Icewind Dale I actually liked because combat was... It's a weird thing where the combat was the only thing you did in that game, and that was okay enough Whereas in the other games, it feels like combat is just something that's getting in the way of everything else that I could be doing that the games actually do well. And uh, Pillars of Eternity I was excited about because I wondered how much of um, my issues with the original Infinity Engine games came from the uh, sort of compromised adaptation of 2nd edition combat and 3rd edition in Icewind Dale 2, I believe. Um like all of the updates I was getting from uh, Obsidian and Josh Sawyer from the Kickstarter were like, here are all the things that we've taken about, you know, D&D second edition concepts, and we've made them smart instead of just kind of things that were thrown into a book. And so that was really interesting to me, and I thought that that boded well for Pillars of Eternity being a game in this style that I would actually really like. Well, we'll get into that discussion in a little bit uh as for myself i kind of come into the genre i I came into the genre a little later than most people and i I didn't even play a true infinity engine game first the first one that i played in that quote-unquote style would be dragon age origins which interestingly enough does not seem to have aged particularly well it's it's somewhat well-regarded by among Dragon Age fans, but the more I play Pillars of Eternity, the more that it starts to seem a little, I should say, compromised or a little more simple than I would have than I would have liked. I've I've always kind of wanted to revisit it because my recollection was that it was a really big and interesting game. And there was a lot to do, but I even at the time I was not a huge fan of the way the combat was working. And a lot of that was to do with the limitations of the party and the extreme emphasis that was put on magic. But ever, but it did leave me with a good impression of the genre, and I wanted to explore more games after that, which is why I picked up games like Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition and that sort of thing. And now here I am at Pillars of Eternity, which we will be talking about today. So Pillars of Eternity, what is it? So it's... Uh, it was kickstarted in 2012 
as kind of a a throwback to this really nostalgic period in RPG history that people still still have a lot of uh, love for, uh, Rowan notwithstanding, apparently. And it really aimed to be a throwback, but not, you know, slavishly faithful to the RPG design approach of that time. Um, it updated the rules. Uh, it's still very D&D heavy, but it's not a licensed D&D game, so it updated the rules somewhat while adding in many of its own concepts, uh, that which we'll get into in a little bit. And it also introduced its own world, which is fairly interesting. So I suppose we should just dive right into how we feel about the combat. So Rowan, you said that you do not like the combat in Infinity Engine games. I'm actually going to have to go ahead and disagree because while I agree that it's micromanagement heavy, um, I come from a real-time strategy background and I've always liked the 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 kind of the the energy, the excitement, uh, the impact, uh, how impactful the combat feels. Where while I can still pause, I can still take stock of things. It's not twitch based. I've always found that to be a, a, a relatively happy medium. I mean, it it can be like I I know that I am somewhat in a minority on this, but it um, it's it's like a pacing thing where. I feel like one of the advantages that Dragon Age Origins had, although I do agree with you that it was way too magic-heavy and the combat ended up turning into a slog because because of the size of the game. Um, but one of the things that it did was... Uh, it had all these um, like cooldown-based skills and um, a pacing that suggested that it was designed around making sure that the player can read combat uh, as it's happening without like needing to pause and figure out everything that's happening. And I don't get that from the Infinity Engine and the Pillars of Eternity so much, where if I want to figure out what's happening, I have to pause and analyze everything. And that seems to go against the pace that the game wants me to use. Like The real-time aspect makes me feel like it's you know, a real-time strategy game, most of which do not have actually have pause. So the level of... I, I feel like I am co- consistently confused about the level of control I should be exerting over it. And um, that's still an issue with Pillars, but there's still a lot of good things about it that most of the time cause me to overlook it, that issue. The way I've always looked at combat in the Affinity Engine games, and I see it with Pillars too, is to me... The um, the icons, your characters, I treat them as miniatures, and that this is a miniature battle. Except that these miniatures are kind of robotic, and they actually can't move, and then you got to stop them and put them where you want and tell them what you want to do as you're going through it. And, and that's how I've always approached it to me. And for me, I find that very satisfying because I really like that granular control of pointing down and say, okay, I want you to move here, I want you to hit here, then I want you to move around that one over on the left and hit there, and then I want you to cast this spell over here 10 feet there, and then I want you to move 20 feet over here to cast that spell. And that's how I've always approached it. To me, I find that satisfied, but I can really see where 
some people would not get that and not like that. Yeah, yeah. I think you, when you introduced that, you sort of hit on one of my main issues was that the your your little your little dudes are. Um, you're kind of wrestling with them in order to get them to do the right thing, and that's um, I mean, confusion isn't quite the right word, but that's sort of part of my the split that I feel about it is that I'm not entirely certain if I want them to be doing things. And in the Infinity Engine games, um, they would do a lot more like auto skill use or spell casting that um, Pillars of Eternity doesn't seem to have. But uh, that's like, do I really want my mage blowing my fireballs here on, you know, these goblins, or do I want to save those? And then that turns into more of a thing. So I think I think Pillars of Eternity does mitigate that slightly, but... Do you, when you play Rowan, this is really interesting, do you ever feel like you're hurting a bunch of two-year-olds or a bunch of cats? <laughs> um, not entirely. It's more of a... Well, I guess maybe the cats, if the cats are just kind of sitting there, like. <laughs> my own perspe- perspective is that I I like the tactical element of being able to set a formation. I ended up setting a custom formation in Pillars of Eternity um, to really make sure that my meat shields were up front and my squishier um, my squishier mages were in back. And I mean that's a very simple and uh, universal concept, but. Uh, flanking and that sort of thing and being able to use the environment is really important in Pillars of Eternity. Uh, being able to set up ch- choke points, as it were. This is getting back to the real-time strategy thing. Setting up choke points in doorways. Making sure that you are not trapped in a corner. Making sure that you can't be flanked and get attacked. Because magic is still quite powerful in Pillars of Eternity. But they've really... Uh, balance that by making your mages so so like vulnerable they go down so quickly if they get hit that uh, uh, that it's then easy to get uh, then it's relatively easy to get overwhelmed and it can be frustrating in the sense that there are times when it feels like the AI is not particularly smart about how they do things and they can and, and they and it, it's really annoying when they run into the line of fire by mistake. But you know it goes back to how I used to play PC, PCRTS games back in the early ni- late uh, mid to late nineties, where I would be like, "All right, well, you my my players are dumb and their pathfinding are is not particularly great. So now I'm going to have to keep an eye on them at all times and just make sure that I am totally aware of everything that's going on." And that's one way that you can make sure that you're not surprised or put into a compromised situation is that you can go into scouting and have your play, uh, guy sneak ahead and get the lie of the land and be able to spring your own ambushes. So in that, I find the tactical elements pretty interesting. So one thing that I did want to ask about is, or one thing I wanted to discuss about actually was, so Pillars of Eternity... Is, it's kind of a mix of Dungeons and Dragons, like 3.5 and like fourth edition. And I was actually reading about this in your interview with uh, Josh Sawyer, Jason. And one of the things that I found interesting about fourth edition was that was actually the first Dungeons and Dragons that I played. And yep, no, that was the first one. I, I didn't get to play it when I was in high school. So fourth edition was my entryway. And the feedback I've heard again and again 
is well fourth edition is a lot of fun if you are uh, a casual but it's only there to make you feel super powered and it's way too easy so what is your perspective on that jason well my perspective is i don't make it i don't think it feels you know too easy or makes you feel overpowered um my thing for it is that it just it changes what it was from what it was in the past incorporating concepts that you find more in MMOs with uh, cooldowns and daily abilities and things like that, as opposed to just the traditional, you get to do this, you get to do that as your class and the, the standard spell progressions. Um, where 4E really shines is when you're bringing miniatures into it, because the whole game is set up to be working with miniatures in a way that none of the other editions were. So if you've got your map with the grid out and you've constructed dungeons and you've got those there on the table and you're moving your little guys back and forth around, uh, the game in 4th edition would feel much more fulfilling than without that and just using your imagination for all that. Um, Because so much of it has to do with auras and other things that happen with the um, battle system. Uh, I don't view it as overpowered. It's just different. And I think a lot of the real older D&D players didn't particularly care for it as much. Uh, I know some who love it and some who don't. But I think that's kind of what happens with every edition of the game that's came out since I started playing it, at least in 1983. It's been interesting, just the uh, the balance, the way that the way that it's been incorporated into you know, a video game, which is obviously a very different animal from a tabletop, but at the same time, it incorporates many of those basic concepts and the balance of, uh, the balance of Pillars of Eternity's flow is, revolves around those knowing when to use your daily powers, um, and your most powerful spells and saving them because uh, you know that, well, once you use them, then you can't, you don't have access to them again until your next rest. And I think that one thing that Pillars of Eternity does actually pretty well is it balances the, it balances scarcity with the feeling that you still want to access those powers. So they're not so rare that I'm like, I'm never using these, but at the same time, like they still feel like, okay, well, if I if I'm in a tight situation, I can break out those like level three, level four spells and really go to town on a bad guy. You see, I don't I don't find them as scarce because unless one of you have encountered differently, um, I've never had a random encounter interrupt my rest. I've been able to pretty much rest anywhere where you can rest without um, having that interrupt. And we can just rest is safe. It's the it's balanced by the amount of camp supplies that you can yeah so and the camp supplies are plentiful enough that they're just you know one store away usually you can find them in some town so you know i've i felt like oh i can just go in guns blazing as much as i want um literally if i have an archivist um (laughs) and and not worry about that scarcity so much that scarcity comes into play more and we're like okay i might have three crowd control type spells and when do I want to use them in this encounter? But I know if I use them all up, I can rest and use them in the next encounter. So I don't, I don't the scarcity isn't the thing that was really something I felt that came into play so much. It was more about how you just wanted to use your resources, which, you know, comes down to most RPG systems. Uh, I think that that changes at harder levels. I think uh, you only, like, have two 
uh, camp supplies when you're playing on hard or something. So. Yeah. Um, uh, it's there's a, a an interesting trend in RPGs that's been away from this system, which is um, sort of the the basic unit of your progression, mm-hmm. like physical progression as opposed to character progression, is time until you can rest, or you know amount of combat you can do until you can rest. And in general, RPGs have been trending away from that in the past. 10 years or so where the focus has been on the individual combat and um this is when you start getting these cooldown based um cooldown based concepts automatic healing after the end of combat um final fantasy has moved like all the way to this uh dragon age sort of did in origins definitely did in two and then pulled back in dragon age inquisition um something like Mass Effect is almost entirely based on the individual combat uh, because you just heal up almost instantly after except for, you know, your, your shields go back up, um, although you do still have to, like, manage your health packs but that's extremely rare to actually run into an issue with. Um, so, to go back to this throwback of the rest-based game is an interesting thing, and I think part of the reason that it, people moved away from it is that it usually ends up with having a bunch of fights that aren't actually that difficult and aren't actually that interesting and i think that's still kind of an issue with pillars but i think it's a really it feels like a really designed game in a lot of ways so that even if they're like one or two battles that are just like yeah i can pretty much run this on auto they're almost always followed by one okay i'm gonna have to rest after that so let's blow everything um yeah there's a really good example of that where you'll be going, you'll be going. There's not a lot happening. This is in Act Three. I don't. I'm not going to spoil anything. But early on in Act Three, you run into an enemy party that you you haven't had any battles. But this enemy party has like has a rogue. It has a couple of mages. It's basically the anti version of your party. It's really strong, and these encounters pop up fairly regularly, and they're often pretty compelling because you have to really take into account how that enemy party is composed um i've come to really fear druids for example (laughs) where it's like oh god there's there there's a druid in there they're gonna totally break out the the storm uh spell which is gonna this is a really nasty area of effect attack that brings a lot of damage to my party so I'm going to see if I can't, like, focus fire that guy first. And, okay, there's a rogue. They're going to try and get around on me and hit my party. And, okay, well, I'm going to set up my spells so that I can get a really good jump on them. Uh, So I have, as you said, Rowan, spent a lot of time thinking about the strategy and the tactics of encounters, which something that Pillars of Eternity does really well, in part because it's a hard game. It's not an easy game. I'm curious, uh, what difficulty level are you guys playing on? Because I, I've been playing on easy, as has been recommended, and that's actually still been pretty tough. Uh, it's not really pulled any punches. I'm on normal. I'm on normal as well. Okay, so you're both on normal. What What is your perspective on normal mode? Like, Do you find it balanced? Does it work well? I I think so. As I said, like there are, there are some times where I feel like the combat bogs down. It's sort of like 
in between the the encounters that are sort of in between the running into just little trash fights and the ones that you really have to try on um it occasionally has a bit few too many in between where it's like i know i can win this easily so i'm not even really going oh shit i really need do need to try um so there's a little bit of that but definitely not as much as in you know an older game that doesn't feel as well put together um so you know i guess i would say i mostly like normal but occasionally get annoyed yeah, I'm I'm finding that the balance is pretty good, but there's times when I've been finding it to be too easy. Um, for for me, it's could be a consequence of I've been doing lots of side quests and lots yeah. of tasks, and I'm finding that my characters are over level leveled for certain encounters, especially some of the more important counts. Yeah, it, it definitely worth noting that this is not a game where the levels scale. It is there are there are clear divisions of what what level the enemies are or what level your party members should be for the enemies to be a challenge and sometimes you can get around that and sometimes you can't one of the things that i find really interesting about pillars of eternity's combat is the way that they approach the armor um so what they do is there's not a a definite hit and a definite miss there is a system where you'll where an one of your characters will be get we- well they'll get winged by an attack or they'll get partially hit and it'll do some damage and they intended it as a kind of more realistic approach and it really impacts how damage is doled out because uh there are skills that you can take that will turn, for example, a, uh, a partial hit into a full hit and that sort of thing. Um, I'm curious what your guys' perspective is on that system. Um, I feel like I want to like it. Like, it looks like a cool system, but the the level of complication that it's at, where you have all these different types of damage and then, like, um, statistics of resolve and will that, like, will turn those enhance those hits and things like i it it seems like a good system but i just cannot bring myself to really get into um dealing with it at the level that i sort of want to engage with the combat um so like early on it starts talking about the difference between like piercing and crushing damage and it says that your characters will complain if they run into an enemy and they're holding the wrong weapon type and they'll say like uh, I can't hurt this guy. And they do that that first time. And I'm like, okay, I'll just sort of wait for those cues and then switch my weapons if that happens. And then I play for 20 hours and I've only just hit that happening again. Like, I know that it's been happening where, you know, some characters are less effective than others, but I'm not getting the the sort of simplified cues for my, uh, my I guess, sort of lazy playing of it. And... Um, when I brought this up on Twitter, someone, and it might have been you, Jason, but maybe not, uh, uh, asked if if it was a turn-based game, if that would be like be more appealing to me in like figuring those things out. And I think if you look at a game like Divinity Original Sin, which has a lot of the same tactical concepts and sort of moving miniature feel, moving miniatures around feel to it, I think yeah, I probably would 
um, get more into that. But it seems like a really neat system. I like I like the way that every piece of armor and every weapon is roughly equivalent, like at its base level, and it's just, it's situational or how you build your character as to which one becomes better. Like that's a really cool idea. I'm just having trouble getting it manifesting in my mind. It's a fantastic idea, and I really like it. The um, the problem, at least what I've noticed with the feedback is, you have to really pay attention to the feedback window in combat to figure that out. Or you just start memorizing or taking notes on what does well and what does what. I mean, this um, the system goes beyond just the old D&D of, oh, skeletons are resistant to your sharp weapons, use blunt, um, that you would see in the Infinity Engine games. And you have to take it apart into how... Um, the elements would work, or how um, one of the four different types of damage will work. And it has a tutorial for this, but I have a feeling that there'll be a number of players who don't quite get it unless they really sit there and take some time to study it as it's going on. And and if you have to sit there and study it, as much as I enjoy doing that, that's probably not a good idea. And that's probably not the best way to design it. So, you know, if they could have had a tutorial that walked you through it more, that probably would have been better. I, I would also note that the combat window, or the, the sort of text window, is really, really small. It's like one and a half lines by default. You can stretch it out, which I did, and I, um, when I was... I, I basically binged on the game yesterday in preparation for this podcast, and I stretched that out, and I started getting into it a little more. It also helped that I was, like, in and around the city, where I was dealing more with story and um, quests and sort of character development than uh, the simple wilderness combat that had kind of bogged me down. Yeah, and I've, I've played this on two different monitor sizes. I've played it on my 12-inch laptop and my 24-inch desktop, and yeah, it's much <laughs> easier to see the feedback on a bigger screen. I mean, if you're playing this on a small laptop screen, I feel for you. It's hard. <laughs> the million-dollar question now and it's totally not fair to compare the two because in some ways they're very different games. But it is something that I've seen come up on Twitter and multiple accounts. Which do you prefer, the combat in Pillars of Eternity or in Divinity Original Sin? Oh, can I answer first? Okay, I already so. answered, so... <laughs> yeah, you already answered. Um, well, you're a personally, hater, Rowan. <laughs> personally, I think this is Poppycock asking to... to choose between the two of them. Um, They're different, and they're designed different, and they give you different types of interaction. I think they're both good, and I enjoy both. Um, If that's a dodging your answer, then I will say it's a dodge. But I honestly, one of the things that really bugs me about um, RPG fans is how they will laud one system over another. Um, I think it's, you know, we need to be a little more critical about that and say, okay, well, you know what? We can like both, or we can hate both, and but we let's look at what really works or what really doesn't. Now, when you take divinities, you, you know the fact that it's all turn-based. I really enjoy that. I love the way the elements play into it, um, but at the same time, I feel like I have more control over my characters and pillars, and I like the different armor types and how that interacts and the deflection bonuses you get from things. See, I'm the uh, I'm the Rowan Kaiser of divinity. I'm I'm a hater. And it's I recognize I'm in the minority here. I do think that they have some really interesting concepts about the way that different elements combine. Um and it definitely helps the strategy. I just don't 
it's just a personal preference thing. I don't like the turn-based component. I'm, I, I think it's because I had the wrong expectations going in. I thought I was going to be getting something along the lines of an Infinity Engine game, and instead I got something totally different. And, and yes, I, I did not particularly like it. I did not particularly like the pacing of the battles or the way they flowed or the way that they felt. And it turned me off pretty quickly, and I was like, eh, I don't, I don't really want to keep going with this. Yes, I am aware that I'm missing a fantastic game, but you know, first impressions can matter a lot when it comes to an RPG's battle system. I think that um, it has similar sort of issues of it bogging down. It's a big game. There is a lot of combat, and maybe there is too much. Uh, too much of those uh, medium-sized, you should be paying attention to the environment, but you really don't want to. Um, it just it just feels like the turn-based system that it had um, made uh, sort of made you learn those systems that the Pillars of Eternity combat doesn't really make you learn. Uh, and you should learn them. So. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. You can kind of fudge your way around. Yeah, so, um, like, I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, Pillars of Eternity would be better if it had a turn-based uh, combat system a la uh, um, Divsin, but, uh, like, I want a Pillars of Eternity tactics game. Like, that's what I want to see. Um, something that's that's not, not like this quest thing where you have these sort of mini encounters all the time, but um, where you have these, like, knock down, drag them out, um, long slow combats that are the entire focus of the game, as opposed to sort of one component of mini. I think that would, like, really get me into the systems. And So you, um, want, you want your Fallout, Fallout Tactics version? <laughs> Not necessarily Fallout Tactics, but yes. Uh, something like that. Um, so... I think... I, the the interesting comparison to me is less uh, Divsin and more Dragon Age Inquisition, which is sort of a you know a totally different descendant of the Infinity Engine, and um, like it sort of leaned into um, really guiding the action of the game uh, more directly, and. Sometimes that felt really good, and sometimes that felt really bad, and I'm not entirely certain if I would prefer that o- over this. I, I prefer Pillars over Dragon Age Inquisition when it comes to combat, for sure. Um, just because I feel like there's more magic, more types of magic, more types of magic casters, and I have more control over my players. Bigger party, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you, Jason. I... I actually like Dragon Age Inquisition's combat better than most people's because I thought that it did a pretty good job of being accessible without being shallow. But Pillars of Eternity, like, it just, it taps into that center of the brain where it's interesting to look at, it's fun to play, it's not overly dry, but there's a lot to it. And so I, I think in that way it's, pretty much the best of both worlds but we've talked about the combat for a while let's talk about the game at large for a while one thing that i'm really curious about with you guys is how you ended up approaching this game so for me because i've been 
because I've been kind of, you know, I'm reviewing it, like, I've been more or less critical pathing it, which is to say I've been mostly focusing on story quests. I'm, this is not an artificial approach for me. I actually generally will just follow the the main path, and if something interests me, or if I see a quest that's kind of cool, um, I'll go wander off and try that, or I'll just wander off and try a different area. I haven't felt particularly compelled to wander off the beaten path. Um, certainly not to the extent that I did in Dragon Age Inquisition, where it seemed like I was always opening some new interesting area. In Pillars of Eternity, like they will put the they will center the action in certain areas. So I mostly stayed within those areas, and if I happened to find a quest that was interesting to me, I would do it. Um, but Jason, you've had a much different experience. You've been like really doing everything. How oh, I'm, I'm I'm everywhere. I swear, I swear to God, I'm, 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 I have total ADHD when it comes to staying on the quest line. Um, I've been poking into every little corner of every map of every city. I've been going down a bunch of quests i've taken a bunch of bounties and i'm having a blast of all of it um there's some really cool things that happen um in the stories that are side quests um some of it a couple of them i I actually found to be rather moving or poignant um from a story standpoint and they may have nothing to do with the main story but i think they're really well-written additions now maybe i'm just a sap but i really like them yeah, well, one of the things that I found interesting was we were talking about Pillars of Eternity over drinks last night, and you were like, yeah, uh, did you, what did you do with the um, the leader of the Gilded Vale, which is one of the earliest towns that you run into, if I recall correctly? Um, and it's, to, to, it's very early on, you walk into this town, you see a tree with, like, lots of bodies hanging all over the place and it's obviously like something weird is going on and the way the game flows you can just walk right on out and that's exactly what I did but you ended up sticking around and like doing a lot in that area right yeah and I I, I resolved that quest mm-hmm um, and you said and the thing that jumped out at me was you said that the actions that you took in the Gilded Vale like really impacted your play, your experience later on. Uh, oh yeah. How so? Characters mentioned it. Um, your reputation reflects it, and that reputation ha- takes place somewhere else. I mean, heck, there is even one character from a quest from that area who shows up in another um, place later on in the game, and he actually references, "Oh yeah, you you did this for me back there. That was really cool. Thank you." Yeah. Um. I, I'm a I'm a side quester. I my general RPG path is load up the journal, figure out the most efficient way to like go to a place that will get me the most progress on the most quests. Do that, figure that out again, do that again, uh, and just kind of keep doing that. Um, and this is what I did yesterday. Like I like I said, I played a whole bunch of this game to in order to prepare for this because I've been somewhat behind because I wasn't actually reviewing it like I thought I would be. Um, so I was taking my time, and I just stayed in the main city and did pretty much every side quest I possibly could. And uh, 
yeah, that's that's typically how I play, and this game makes that possible. And um, I think this sort of goes back to the the feeling of it being very designed. Um, this is sort of an obsidian thing, where their structure of game is. Um, they've always tried to be like a happy medium between open and guided. Um, their their typical reputation or their their history has been they do like sequels to games that other companies make and those sequels are often buggy. Um, so they did they do Kotor two, which basically took the much more guided Bioware um, model and kind of remixed it a little. And then they also did Fallout New Vegas, which took the super open Bethesda model and they made it like more guided and more story based. And when they're doing their stuff on their own here, you can sort of see exactly that same idea where it is entirely possible to just do the critical path, and that's still interesting. And it's entirely possible to go and just do your side quest wandering. And I think they've they've really managed to like hone that sort of structure um, in a way that includes narrative uh, support for it, um, like those reputation events. And uh, like in Fallout New Vegas, where um, at a certain point on the, the main quest line, you have to make a decision about who you're supporting, and that will end all those other quests. And that would like freak people out, but that's like a, they, want, they want the way that you have played the game to manifest in the game itself. And that's included in Pillars, and I think it's well done, and I'm not, not as far as either of you were finished, but um, I'm definitely seeing my, my actions sort of... Um, open up new doors and close other ones, and um, I think that's good ass way to to design an RPG. Really quickly, I'm curious, what is the composition of your party? So for me, I ended up rolling a fighter, which I kind of regretted because I don't think the fighter is an especially good class. It's fine as a kind of a a tanky class that can do some decent damage um but my character my main character hasn't brought a ton to the fight she ended up being a two-handed sword user i like the flexibility that it affords in that front and then i ended up using let's see um i have a druid or i have the druid that you find who uh who is really good i think druids are a great offensive magic class they're and they're pretty meaty too, so they're they're quite strong. I've got a paladin, just as a tanky kind of character, um, that I rolled up um, myself. Because if you're finding that you have a hole in your party, you can just go buy an adventurer, which is really nice. I've got a ranger that I also rolled up so that I could have a bear. <laughs> um, I have the offensive wizard. I forget what his name is. He's kind of like an elf, but not really. A loth. Yes, him. <laughs> and him slash her, because there's some interesting things going on there. And a cleric, or crazy cleric, because I like having a mad preacher in my party. It's pretty great. What about you guys? Well, m- my main party has been my death-like wizard, uh, Aloth, uh, Dorlance, the, the mad priest, Adar, who's one of the first fighters you meet, um, Pelagenia, I don't know if I'm spelling saying that right. That's the paladin, and then I've been switching out uh, Kanaroa, the chanter, Sagini, the um, rain halfling. Well, Orlin, rain, no, not Orlin. Uh, She's a dwarf. 
the dwarf, yeah, thank you, the dwarf ranger, and then the grieving mother, mother who's the psionicist. Well, excuse me, cipher. Um, yeah, I've, I basically have just been going with the party members it gives you. I rolled a ranger at one point, but then when I got Sagani, or I started with a barbarian, I should mention that. And um, then I rolled a ranger when I was sort of having some trouble with some of the early things. So I had uh, um, the ranger, mage, fighter, and barbarian. And that was like a decent four-person party for the first section of the game. And then um, I've basically been just taking what it gives me and only just got the paladin who forced me to choose who I wanted last night. Um, I kind of been having trouble because I sort of feel like... I would be more into the systems if I had rolled all of the characters and was sort of guiding it that way. Um, but I'm also torn between that and the sort of Obsidian Bioware model of you want these all these different characters in your party because you get all the conversations they have with you and each other. So, like, you know, I, when I play one of those games, um, a Mass Effect or a Dragon Age, I'm constantly switching who my main party is because they're going to talk to each other, and I want to see that. That's, like, one of the most fun things about these games. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's a tension there that is... Like, it's great if you feel like you want to play the game twice, but I'm not sure that that's, that's necessarily a benefit. Um but yeah, it, I also find that the the written characters are a little less personality filled than a lot of Obsidian games, um, and that might be because I haven't quite gotten to some of the the wackier later ones. Um, but other than Durant's, so far, all the ones I have are sort of sort of laid back. And in Aether's case, I really like how laid back he is. He's sort of this uh, American Midwestern type that you don't actually get in most video games um midwestern interesting that's exactly what i thought of him that that's so funny you said that rod yeah he's he's like a he's like a, a colorado boy or someone that, uh uh so he smokes pot got it <laughs> no no before that before that he's he's a he's grew up on a farm and he's uh just trying to figure out how everything goes except he's already kind of figured out how everything goes and i don't know it's just, it's it's i i just really like that that type is included in a game but other than that i've i haven't like really engaged with the characters in a way that you know reminds me of some of the better ones from obsidian or bioware's past uh, neither have i and i've been slightly frustrated by the feeling that i'm missing a lot of characters because I have periodically gone out looking for characters. Like, whenever I enter a new wilderness area, um, whenever I enter a new wilderness area, like, I'll just wander around looking for anything, really, just to make sure that I'm not missing anything particularly big. And these areas are usually pretty big. Like, there are a lot of enemies. Like, there's a fair amount to just uh, wander around in. Um, But... I don't. I found a bunch of characters, but not not all of them. I don't know if this is a general thing, but when I got my stronghold and talked to the chair, the chair was like, "Hey, you should go to this area where there's a dude in a robe that you might find interesting." So I went there, and that's where I recruited Durant's, and that was. I don't know if the chair will continue to do that if you go talk to her. Um, but that was a, a sort of interesting guide to making sure you get your characters because this is um, like 
this is normally how I play one of these uh, sort of uh, NPC-based games, is I want to go recruit the characters as quickly as possible, and then after that I'll figure out what I want to do. So, you know, I'll, I'll push forward as quickly as I can to do that, and um, having an in-game thing that helps guide you is interesting, if it does that more in more than that case. I haven't actually gone back. And like I said, I only just got the uh, the paladin, so um, I'm, I'm not actually certain that I'm missing anyone for where I am in the game. Yeah, um, so I've gotten all the companions, and I'm a little disappointed on a couple things. Um, the humor that you would see in some of these past games aren't isn't really there with any of them, and I kind of and I miss that. Um, there's definitely crazy. You've got plenty of crazy. <laughs> But the crazy is darker. Um, it, 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 you know, you don't have the crazy like you would say with Minsk, who who is really funny, or um, in Neverwinter Nights too. You had Sand, who was the dry elf mage, and he he had a really sharp sense of humor, and it was really dry, and I really appreciated that. Um, and I'm really disappointed that there isn't one companion for every class. Um, yeah, that's strange. Yeah, there's a couple classes that are missing, including one that was really surprising. Um, yeah, and not only that, but when you are first getting started, I, I don't know if this is just my perspective, but it feels like you get a bunch of casters and otherwise squishy-type ranged characters early on, but not meat shield characters. So my first play, my first time through the game, I... Well, uh, when I say first time, like my first attempt, before which ran into a game-breaking bug that forced me to restart, was a ranger. And I was pretty frustrated early on because I, like, my ranger was a, was a bow, used the bow, and then I had a cleric, and I had Aider, and that was about it. And the only thing that stood between me and, like, getting mowed down almost immediately by, like, wolves was my own wolf, who usually died really quickly. I, I, I had a hard time finding a good meat shield. So that actually also played into my decision to just start over. This time I rolled a fighter, and then I had more success. Did you guys perceive that? Yeah, a little. Um, what I did was I bought a couple of ventures and rolled up meat shields. Yeah, that's what you kind of got to do, right? Like, you got to fill your party gaps by going out and buying an adventure. But that's not, you know, it doesn't suggest that. You kind of got to figure it out for yourself, which gets back to the tutorialization that we were talking about earlier. I, I don't know if it's necessary, but it'll make it easier. It, oh, it, no. it actually did suggest it to me when I was exploring near um, Raedric's Keep which is the where the Lord resides. Like, this dude comes out of it, and he's like, only you can save us now. We tried to take the keep down because this guy is such a jerk, but uh, he beat us, but you are our best hope, but you should probably have a full party, and if you don't have a full party, then you should go to an inn and find some adventurers. Um, so Okay, so you you got that. I never had. I never By the time I got like to that. Roderick's keep, bro, I had, I had a full party. Yeah. So that, that, I didn't get that. Yeah, I, I had, I, and, you know, Adair is the first character you're probably going to get, and he's very easily convertible into a tank, which is what I have done. Um, so I did not have a meat shield problem. Also, I was playing a barbarian, so I was partially uh, partially melee, but yes. Ooh, wait a minute, what was your build for Adair? I mean, I, I found him at level 2, so I could 
build mm-hmm. him however and have primarily taken defensive things and things that improve engagement which is a system that is very clear in the game um where uh the way that tanking works is that um but it, he's a caster right no no Aider's am a, i thinking Aider's of something totally different you're thinking of alath probably i think i am Describe Adair to me really quickly. Adair, you find him like right under the tree. He's hanging mm-hmm. out by the by the temple in the middle of town. He's our Midwesterner. Yeah, and he's he's a Did worshiper of. Him? You might have, you might have just missed him. If you you said you blitzed through there, cat, you might have missed him. I I, I sort of missed him the first time around, and then I went back, and uh, there he was when I was just wandering through town. So and. Really? <laughs> he's not. He's kind of not kind of elf-like, is he? Nope. He is a blonde Midwestern dude. Blonde Midwestern dude. Wow. I think I totally missed him. How do you spell his name so I can find him? It's E D E R. Um, there's an accent somewhere in it. Over the second E. Oh yeah. No. Here we go. No, I never got that guy. Holy crap. See, I told you, I felt like I was missing people. Okay, so I was thinking of somebody else entirely when you were talking about him. Because, God, I can't keep track of the names in this game. I swear to God. This is interesting, because he's actually the uh, first person you could... Well, first or second person you recruit into your party, depending. Yeah. Depending on where you walk. But he's probably the first one that you should notice, because he's sort of a... He's sort of a Garrus type, who's the... um, the entry into the world character um, where he'll sort of explain some of the history that's really guiding local events and um, he acts as a kind of voice of reason who um, serves as kind of a moral moral barometer where sometimes he's okay with hyperviolence and sometimes not. So uh, I was yeah. confused because I was thinking of Aloth who is from the Aider Empire Oh, That's why, like, yeah. I kept hearing that name, and I was like, "Yes, him. Yes, our my elfy mage guy, who you also find in the Gilded Vale." Yes, he's over by so, the end. Yeah, no, I totally missed that character. Wow. Well, well then. That's what I, I thought. I tried. I was trying to talk to everybody, but most of the time, when you talk to somebody, like it'll, you know, you'll get the vision I, of I them. A, I had a friend who called it uh, the ability to see their Wikipedia page. <laughs> I mean that's pretty much it, right? I mean uh, it's it's better written than that, but yeah. Um now I, I gotta go back to Gilded Vale. Luckily like fast travel's no problem. I uh I just noticed and I'm not sure if they patched it or something, but when you press tab to uh see like if there are items or whatever around, um the the Wikipedia people have their names in like a gold with a gold background as opposed to the brown ones that everyone else does. Yeah, that that was there since I first started playing. Okay. Yeah, well I just noticed it. It's pretty subtle. Um so that that that's sort of helpful in figuring out who you can talk to. I I I I should know this and I don't, but I think those are um backer characters for the Kickstarter folk. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. So people people got to write their own background, and you got to learn about it? 
I don't think people wrote those. Those were those are way too well written to just be crowdsourced. So they just pitched. Yeah, they pitched the idea, and then Obsidian went and wrote them. Yeah, I th- that seems more likely if that's what it was. Yeah, because like you look at the the gravestones that are filled with like the backer notes, and those are definitely not as well written as the 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 Wikipedia entries. No, and are quite sillier. Yes. So. We're like we're getting on toward an hour now, but there are a couple things I wanted to hit before we wrapped up. The first, really quickly, uh, thoughts on the stronghold. Um, what do you think, Jason? Do you like it? I like the stronghold. It's got some limitations. Um, there's some things I wish it did better, um, but I really like having a place to go back. Uh, you could you develop it. You re you know you're, you're basically remodeling the place as you go. And um, parts that are in shambles will then no longer be in shambles after you pay some money and wait some time. Um, important people come and they give you little buffs, and other people come for a little quest that you can send party members who aren't being used at the time in your party on these quests. And then, of course, you have the best part is you have a dungeon underneath your stronghold, which I really like. Um, but the benefits for the stronghold seem a little weird um, for a place that's seems to be lively it's pretty dead yeah that was my main problem was that it was a little deader than i would have liked yeah um but it's a good place to go to find provisions for crafting things it's a good place to go rest if you ever need a place to rest um you'll get buffs depending on what buildings you've rehabilitated um you have a jail so once you start collecting bounties you can imprison people um it's fun I like I, I like it, but I think you could have done some more with it. I would have uh, at this point, besides the dungeon side quest, there's really no other quests that go with it, and it doesn't really play any importance in the storyline that I've played so far. Yeah, yeah it's a little weird in that it's telling you things like your your stronghold was like almost under attack, but some guys were like repelled, and I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> great um i've gone back to my stronghold and it you would think that i would i would i thought that i would find like a bustling kind of area once i started to rehabilitate it but it was pretty like empty which kind of did not mesh with the sense that you have all these helpers and hirelings and everything you can hire you can hire hirelings but you'll like hire three of them and they'll just be like standing around (laughs) You'll randomly get like a drunk showing up who's lowering your prestige. So it, it feels like it's telling you that it's a really busy, bustling place, but I never really got the sense of that, and that kind of um, lowered my engagement with the stronghold. It's no secret in two. No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> there is no Iron Chef aspect to it. Oh, no, and gosh, I wish there were. And Obsidian's done the stronghold thing before with uh, Neverwinter Nights 2, where you, you rehab a stronghold, and things happen there, and it and it, and it plays a role in what's going on. And so it's kind of a shame that it doesn't seem to be the same level of interaction. Um, I, think, I think this sort of goes along with an overall design decision that they made with the game, which was probably because this is the amount of money they had. It's uh, it's a decision that makes perfect sense, was that this is a very this is a very written game. Um, like when you start the game there's not a there's not an opening animation. There is a narrator reading your character's history and what's happening to the, them right there. 
and it's just scrolling text. Um, and there are a bunch of situations with, with like many kind of dungeon master or game master moments where you're you're uh, you have like little choices that turn into uh, skill checks that. Um, these are all just like super written paragraphs and um yeah it, the stronghold kind of goes along with that it's like here are here are the mechanics of how this works and if you want to use your imagination go for it but it's not it's not going to provide you with a huge bustling idea and i'm not sure that um but it doesn't I'm, really work with the stronghold it works yeah. in those kind of dungeon master moments it works in a lot of other ways i don't mind at all that as you said, it's a very written game. Uh, but in the case of The Stronghold, I feel like if you're going to introduce that component, you want to visually convey like its rehabilitation as you pour lots and lots of money into it. And uh, I don't know, it still felt like an old ruin for the most part, even after I had bought tons of different areas. Um, the best I could say is that, hey, like the cottages look better now. Yeah, it's... Uh it also feels like it's sort of a sort of like a an expected thing that's not necessarily a good thing like Baldur's Gate 2 had a had a castle that you sort of turned into your headquarters and um this is a, a lot of players seem to like this uh um RPGs where you get a house or a castle or whatever and you you sort of build from that um, it's never really been something that I've liked, except when the game really goes all out for it. Like, like I said, Sikadin, um, Dragon Age Inquisition did a pretty good job of this too. Skyhold is definitely a, a, a big part, of, big part of the, how the game feels, and uh, this just kind of feels like it's going through the motions in order to appease people who want. Yeah, if you're gonna have a stronghold, if you're gonna have a base, it needs to be its own character almost. It, it, it needs yes. to have a sense of being important to the overall story. And if there's one thing that, you know, Dragon Age Inquisition succeeds at it, that anything else, I thought it, w- it was that was Stronghold. Yeah. Was, was Skyhold, excuse me. So we've been talking about Pillars of Eternity for the past hour. So let's share our final thoughts. So I guess the big questions that I have are good game uh and also does the infinity engine style hold up after 15 years because while obsidian has definitely made some changes to the style have brought in some like modern twists have modernized in many ways it is still it still feels something that's very much out of the late 90s what do you guys think oh i mean good game i think is a clear yes like there's just it's really good in almost all cases of doing the things that it wants to do. Um, it feels like it's it, and then working with the player, what with what, how the player wants to do that. Like it manages to like get the right level of engagement in almost all cases. Um, in terms of the Infinity Engine holding up, I mean, I didn't like it when it came out, so obviously not. Um, Hater. But uh, it's uh, uh, yeah, Team Fallout. Um, it's um, it does a good job of 
mitigating some of the aspects of it. It doesn't do quite as good a job as I hoped that it would, and maybe that would have been impossible, but I do feel like um, this is this is not a bad thing to have happen in 2015. Like, I like that this exists. I like that I like that people are trying to make the six six party member RPG happen. Oh uh, yes. Oh yes. Uh and I think there is a weird tension between like the rolling party members versus the created ones or the pre created ones. Um but uh I like that there is a game that could be done in that way that also still has like strong story and written components. So, um, yeah, this is overall, like, unless you cannot stand playing RPGs at all, this game's totally worth it. And if you can't stand playing RPGs, why are you listening to this podcast? <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm quite happy with it. I really like it. I think it's a good game. I think it's a mostly well-crafted game. I haven't had that, you know, I'll, I've. I've played 55 hours. I haven't had the issues with bugs other people have had. I haven't had one bug yet, um, which which is very surprising. Um, I've had pathfinding issues, but I don't consider that a bug. I think I could just consider that a legacy of these style of games. Um, but I really like it. I, I like the balance between the, the scriptedness and the way it's been designed versus the freedom it gives you to make your own decisions in some areas and consequences those have on the world i love playing with my characters you know they're, they're, they're miniatures for me in this game and i love playing with them like that and i love developing in the way i want and i really love having a six member party again um i really miss that and when i play a game with only four i still get sad um, yeah i don't have the emotional ties to the genre that a lot of people do but i do like the the forum based on what I've played over the past few years and I've I've been very very happy with Pillars of Eternity um, one thing that we were talking about yesterday Jason was there's never been a moment where like I've been bored I've the game does a really good job of pushing me along giving me lots of things to find there's always something to do there's never a moment where I'm going okay what do I do next um what should I be looking for? Um, and there, and I can't think of any real moments where it's you know padded it every padded itself out. Where it's like, oh, go fetch three of these things. Yeah, they'll send me to a dungeon um, to curry the favor of a particular faction, but that's fine because dungeons are fun, and I enjoy exploring that world uh, further. So, and, and I feel like it's the right length. Um, if you just critical path it, you can be done in about, uh, 30-ish hours, I would say. Um, but it has potential to go much longer. And I think that's a really good approach to take with an RPG because there are people like me who will just kind of go through the main story, do their thing. And then there are completionists who will be looking for every little thing. And I think it does a really good job of catering to both of those tastes. And we didn't really get into the story too much, but I've liked it a lot. It's it's mysterious. It's interesting. Um, I find the way that it talks about kind of soul transfer, or I, I, I guess you would say like the stealing of souls in this game and the quote-unquote science of soul transfers and all that. Um, it's, it's quite yeah. dark, and it 
I, I like that it the music, which is really good by the way, kind of brings to mind Lord of the Rings, but it doesn't kind of crib from epic fantasy in the same way as say Dragon Age does. Well, and when cri- I say epic fantasy, I mean Gate. some mix of Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings. It it feels like its own thing, and I really appreciate that. It it feels like it's directly descended from Baldur's Gate music. Like it's got the very similar kind of drums and vocals. And, oh yeah, the music. Yeah, yeah. The music um, is fantastic. The uh, I think just sort of the setting of it is something that we didn't really talk about that I think is worth mentioning. But the as the the themes of um, like souls and personhood and so on are interesting alongside um uh themes of colonialism and um just kind of a a sort of a depth of history leading to problems in the world that uh a lot of rpgs especially like new ones in a new universe don't really have without like going you know full game of thrones like a dragon age origins did um so it also has a very uh, kind of Anglo-Saxon mythology to it. I think it's Anglo-Saxon, maybe it's Celtic, or some mix of all that, but it's like, a, it's like a British Isles kind of mythology as opposed to the generic fantasy, or um, which is more Germanic, I tend to think. Um, so that it's got, it's got some personality that I don't think that, like, especially Baldur's Gate 1... Um, had where it was uh it was just forgotten realms was just kind of generic fantasy land where this is definitely has a very specific kind of setting to it that um is super interesting and um to go back to what you said about there being things to do consistently i think that's the main appeal of the infinity engine games is that they are something about the perspective or the speed of combat or whatever just the way that it places numbers of people or how they're designed always has a feeling like there's you know some place that you can step to next in a game like dragon age inquisition like the completionist path is one that turns into a slog very quickly oh god yes it does this one uh this one it doesn't feel that way to me at all and i think i recognize that in dragon age inquisition and the amount of time that i had played it versus this so um yeah i'm I'm doing quests that are entertaining me in a city as opposed to picking elf root constantly um no elf root no elf root <laughs> i don't want to ever pick an elf root again oh you don't have to do that pillars of eternity roland kaiser again an infinity engine game that even roland kaiser can like like I said, I've learned to respect uh, some of them in my old age, but uh, <laughs> I would say I would say that this one is superior in most ways as a game. Planescape Torment probably still surpasses it as like an experience, um, but I, this was not really intended to be like Planescape Torment. That's coming later this year. Yep. Okay, well, those are our thoughts in Pillars of Eternity. Uh, what are your thoughts? I'd love to hear them. Send me an email to cat.bailey at usgamer.net or, uh, you know, contact me on Twitter. I'm at the underscore catbot or just leave a comment on our show notes. You can find them over at usgamer.net. Uh, Rowan, where can, you, where can you be found? I am at Rowan Kaiser, all one word on Twitter, and that's probably the best way to find me anywhere. Uh <laughs> Although, and if you, if you, you prefer Jason? email, it's also okay, Rowan Kaiser at Gmail. 
And Jason? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore Wilson, all lower cap. Or you can find me managing GameSpeed, which is what I do during the day, and sometimes at night, and sometimes on the weekends. Well, all right, then. Yeah. We'll definitely make sure to do that. And you can always well, drop me a line at jason.wilson at venturebeat.com, all lowercase. Well, that's our conversation about Pillars of Eternity, which you can find on Steam. I think next time, well, we're probably going to be going back to the Japanese side of things because Xenoblade Chronicles is out next week. And Jeremy and I have been playing a lot of it, so we're going to have some thoughts to share on that front. But until then, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.